Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey guys, before I share this next conversation, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have continued to support the podcast with your monthly donations. And for anyone who also wants to support it, it's really easy. All you do is go to littleknownfactspodcast.com and you'll see that there's a contributions page when you look at the homepage menu and it explains how to donate. And when I say no donation is too small, I really mean it. Even a dollar a month will make a huge difference in my being able to share these episodes with you every week. So thank you to those who have already given. Thank you in advance to those who might contribute in the future. And without further ado, here's the next episode of Little Known Facts. Enjoy. Little known fact about my guest today, she is the first Alphaba to have begun her career in finance. But man, how lucky are we that she decided to return to her original dream because this woman really is ours. Welcome, Jessica Vosk, to the podcast. A-OK. Hey, everybody. My guest today is Jessica Vosk. Jessica's Broadway credits include Wicked, Fiddler on the Roof, Finding Neverland, and The Bridges of Madison County. She starred as Anita in the San Francisco Symphony's production of West Side Story. Her glorious debut album is called Wild and Free, and you can find it everywhere you listen to music. She's just one of the most brilliant, glorious artists living on the planet, and I'm so thrilled to welcome Ms. Jessica Vosk to the podcast. Thank you so much. I feel so honored. Your story is so incredible. And I feel like I want to go back in time because in if if anyone has access to YouTube, you're gonna get to see some incredible performances of Jessica's as a child. Forget even her Broadway credits. And so I know you grew up in New Jersey, or I think you grew up in New Jersey. Is that right? I did. I'm a Jersey girl. Where me too. Where did this love and passion for musical theater enter your veins? Oh, you know, growing up in New Jersey at all means that you sort of have a close proximity to Manhattan. Um, And as a kid, I grew up with community theater. And I grew up with parents who both were artistic in their own right, but they both had like what I like to call the baby boomer real people jobs. Mm -hmm. So – Instead of, you know, saying, I'm going to pursue, you know, a career as a musician. My father went into pharmaceuticals. My mother was a realtor. And, uh, but my dad taught me how to sing. My dad, you know, would play the guitar all the time. My dad would sing with me in the living room. My mom would sketch and graphic design. And I sort of must have had some kind of bug bite me early on because I, remember sitting in the car and asking my dad when I was little, you know, what's harmony? And, you know, he taught me sort of how to sing. And to this day, I have recordings of his that I've, you know, expertly taken off of cassette tape and put onto CD. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you don't, you don't know what it is as a kid. And then you get into school and and you, you hear people say, do you want to audition for this community theater show of Peter Pan? And, and that was it for me. It, mm-hmm. it, it was the lights and the music and getting to sing and learning music and reading it and wearing costumes. And, uh, you know, I always connected more with that than I did with anything else. Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed. And I would sit in my room 
and you know, cassette tape, I'm dating myself, cassette tape over cassette tape over cassette tape of Les Mis and Phantom and Cats and, you know, trying to sound exactly like the Broadway, you know, cast recordings did. And I would do that for hours. I'm sure my parents were so sick of me <laughs> after a while between that and trying to sound like Celine Dion, you know, right. up. but, uh, but once I By was the way, in- on Twitter, it says in your description, like, that you're obsessed with Bette and Celine. And I was like, what designer is that? Like, I'm literally like, Bette and Celine. And then I'm like, Alana. Oh, thank no. you. Oh, my God. That's actually pretty genius, Alana. That's pretty <laughs> genius. I was like, I don't know. But anyway, that talk about making a fool of myself. But Anyway, go on. No, I'm that actually has made me laugh. You, you've given my my Coco Roro pandemic <laughs> weekly laugh. Um, I, I, I did. I grew up with with a love of musical theater. I grew up with wanting to tell stories and make people happy and sing for people. And I would put on talent shows in my living room, and it was that's just what I did as a kid. And and were you coming into the city to see Broadway shows? As a kid, yeah. I was so petrified of Manhattan as a kid. But yes, we would come in. I, my first Broadway show that I ever saw was The Secret Garden. Wow. And, uh, That's which, a good starter. Oh, it just my spurred my love, not only for Rebecca Luker, but, you know, Mandy Patinkin and Daisy Egan and all of these, you know, Icons. fantastic performers. Yeah. Uh, and then after the secret garden, I think we saw Les Mis and Phantom and, um, and I started to just, you know, I, I would take all the booklets home that they would sell in the lobby. Thanks merch. Mm-hmm. I would take, you know, please buy me this booklet. I remember seeing Chicago with Mary Lou Henner and taking that big poster home with everybody's, it was like a, an ad that they took out in the New York times, but they also sold it at the theater and I would, I took it home and put it on my wall. Like I had all the Broadway posters on my wall. Um, and you'd look back and you think, wow, that was so inspiring to me back then. And it's almost unbelievable to then say, I saw the secret garden with Rebecca Luker, but I also got to work with her and all of these, you know, full circle things that, that happened in my life as an adult that I, in my wildest dreams, could never have thought would, would happen when I was a kid. Right. And they did. But you had a really unique journey. Um, you know, I've done many of these episodes and yours is a very unique story in terms of how you loved it so much as a young person and then stepped away for a minute. Um, so when it was time to finish high school and chorus and shows and you played Annie, right? Like you got oh, to do Peter Pan, like unbelievable. Um, did you go to college? I did. I, I, I finished high school and at the time I thought to myself, okay, well, musical theater school is the obvious next step. Mm-hmm. And so I had auditioned for a couple of, of larger programs and I wound up going to the Hart School of Music at the University of Hartford where um where a lot of my colleagues and friends have gone and went to their musical theater program and when I got there in my freshman year I just I I felt this disconnect from New York and I didn't necessarily gel with the program completely and mm-hmm. after a semester I decided to to leave um, and I was sort of the black sheep and everybody was like, how could she do this? Um, but I, I called my parents and I said, I don't know if it's the right place for me. I don't know if I feel right being here. And, um, you know, no, no, no harm, no shade to anybody who went to the Hart School of Music because it's wonderful, but it just didn't work for me. And my parents said, you know, okay, come back home, figure out what you want to do. The only caveat is you have to choose a different major. Oh, okay. Um, and you Why know, do you think they said that? Uh, I think there's equal parts of fear from them being a parent mm-hmm. and being protective of your, protection of you and your future. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think there, you know, that there's always that term, the, the backup plan. Mm-hmm. Oh, the dog. Um, 
there's always the term backup plan that parents always use, like so, or, or that your family always will use, like so. What's your backup plan? Or like, what if it doesn't work? So, before I even took a step or a leap t- to get into the business, I think my parents were like, "Well, you know, why don't you just have something else that you're fantastic at or that you can mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. God forbid." And I don't know. I mean. And then they were also like, if you go to a state school in Jersey, we'll get you a car. And I was like, ding, ding. Oh, fine. So, I mean. You had me at. Yeah, you had me at, which car do I get? So Which car did you get? I got a Mitsubishi Spider Eclipse convertible, Alana. What color? It was like, it was like a pearl color. I thought that I was. You were? of the ball on the highway with every truck driver. Because, you know, Jersey is known for like, you know, the interstate, the turnpike, the Garden State Parkway, you know, what exit do you live off of? That's what we're known for here. So anywhere I was What town did you grow up in? Clinton. Clinton. Is that near, so I know you know Nikki M. James, who's from Livingston. Did you guys, is that like near there? I don't think it's near there. I'm, I was Hunterdon County. So I was more so, I was a little bit north of Princeton. Okay. Um, but west, like beautiful farm uh, land, okay. gorgeous. The the actual garden of New Jersey. Um, okay. So, but but my and I went to Montclair State. I subsequently finished college at Montclair State University with a degree in uh, communications and investor relations. And when I was in college, though I did not um, have anything to do with any pro- musical program, I still did choir. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause your girl loves blending. She yeah. loves to blend. Um, You're very good at it. We, we love, thank you. We, we, <laughs> we love a blend. We love to have to read music. It's just a thing that has been, I don't know, instilled in me from a young age, even from high How school. How did you learn to read music though? Cause that's not something offered in most high schools. Was that an extracurricular or did you teach yourself? Well, in my high school, we had it. You know, they were sort of advanced placement classes, so you could mm-hmm. sort of call it a little extracurricular. But it was yeah. theory, um, wow. theory, and a little bit of ear training. And was that a public high school? It was, and I it, it, North Hunterdon High School in Central New Jersey. And um, my the, the gentleman who headed the program, who's no longer with us, he. I have to say, I credit him for really pushing me to learn all of that stuff. I tell kids who I teach all the time, you know, guys, something that you'll never understand the power of is being able to look at a sheet of music and and read it. And, you know, it's a lost art form. And we, we have everything at our fingertips right now to teach us how to sing something. And sometimes we don't need to be able to look at something and sight read it. But I always tell kids like, gosh, if you get the chance to be in a choir and have to learn how to read music and blend with a different vocal part and, you know, uh, God, that would be so fantastic if you could do that. Um, oop, that was my phone because I had it on non-silent. Anyway. You had it on doorbell. I did. I'm sorry about that. I'm so sorry about that. Don't um, be. I think listeners are really excited. They got to hear a dog, a doorbell. Like they want that. They want to feel like they're at home with you. This is fantastic. This is this is home. This is city living. It's sort mm-hmm. of, you know, every it's kind of why I love to be an artist too, because we have to, you know, work on the fly and figure out, you know, how to make things work. And we're so adaptable and it's 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 why I consider us to be like essential workers of the Coco Roro pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But uh, I hope we trademark that. I, I really should. I really should. The co- everybody seems to be using the cocoa. Yes, and I feel like there's just lots to be done with that. And you know what? We're going to need to figure out how to monetize a lot of other things that we do as we go along. And so I just want to put that down somewhere that that needs to be trademarked. Okay. This this I this I love. Okay. But that's another, we'll, that, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so when you finished school, you get a job. I did. I got a job even before I graduated. Um, 
in in New York City uh, in the Daily News building on 42nd Street and 3rd Avenue uh, at a boutique investor relations firm. And I will never forget, like, I had gone in, I had interviewed, um, I had... I had done all of this, you know, stuff, jumped through the hoops, gotten the suit to wear. Um, and I was standing in the parking lot of my, you know, first apartment and mm-hmm. got the phone call that said, we're going to, we're offering you an entry level position um, at this company. And I was like, what? I mean, I felt so cool. Of course, it was like, my parents are going to be so proud of me. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then subsequently started that job um and I remember maybe like a couple three months or four months into that job I took a Friday off to graduate Mm -hmm. um and went and did my Montclair State University graduation and then that Monday was back at work and And what was the goal what did you think I'm starting uh, at the entry level right now in order to end up where gosh probably owning my own company probably you know, climbing to the top of whatever ladder uh, was so is, was so difficult for women to climb up the, in the first place. I, I always had lofty goals, wh- whatever job it might be. Um, I always say, you know, I never half-assed anything. I always do it with my whole ass. So <laughs> that's like that's exactly what this was. I I mm-hmm. wasn't passionate about it, but I knew that I would was good at it. Mm-hmm. Um and and I had the capability to, you know, sit and learn from my bosses, learn from my colleagues, learn from people who knew more about, you know, obviously about finance than I did, took the classes that they, you know, asked that I take as an entry-level employee and slowly but surely climbed my way through, you know, sitting at a cubicle to having my own office. And, right. uh, and I'm it picturing was, working girl. Absolutely. Absolutely. With, with sneakers in tow. Um, with the suit. With a suit. And, you know, you, you, you do your shopping at your Ann Taylor and then you're, you're, you're taking whatever mode of transport home and taking your heels off and replacing those with a sassy Nike. It's, exactly. that's, that's where, where that's I was the costume. That was the costume. Um, and how long were you doing that for? I did that for almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, apart from being quite good at it and knowing that I could have a future in it, it also gave me a major anxiety problem. Mm. And it was that not something you had suffered from before? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And what's, what's an interesting thing for me is in that two and a half, almost three years that I was at that particular job in this, let's call it like a career, a finance, right. a career that I could have had in the right. corporate world. Um, I refused to see any shows. I didn't see any Broadway shows. I refused to go to, you know, concerts. I refused to, I think, see or watch anything that could remind me of what I could be doing. Yeah. And it was scary for me to, uh, it was so scary for me to even think about making the leap. So I didn't, rather than even think about it, I just put it all away. I shut it all down. You know. And did, did you the- stop hanging out with people who did it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I never, you know, I had never even had a foray into into the, the pursuit of the arts mm-hmm. um, from high school to college. So I didn't really know many people who were, who had careers of it. Mm-hmm. And, um... So for me, it was the usual, like, stuff it down, don't think about it, don't talk about it. You know, it won't, it, it'll go away. Right. And instead of <laughs> instead of going away, it was like, no, let me bubble to the surface and, and present myself as, like, the worst stress problem that you've ever had and anxiety mm-hmm. and panic attacks. And, and it was the scariest time ever because I had no idea what it was. Right. Um, and for anybody who suffers from anxiety or panic attacks, you, uh, you think you're going to die. I mean, I'm pretty sure you think you're going to die. Um, 
at least I did. I would sit there and be like, why am I in the middle of a meeting and I, my heart is racing or my palms are sweating? And um, So it would not be – it wasn't consistently triggered by, by the same thing. You never knew when it was going to happen. Yeah, that's right. So you couldn't protect yourself or set up a situation where it wasn't going to happen. That's right. Where, where you're kind of, you know, once you once you understand what the problem is, yeah. you you know either either you go to a doctor and discuss with them or a therapist, and this is what's going on. And uh, I can't really pinpoint where it's coming from or the trigger where it's coming from, and uh, and you work it out. But in in this circumstance, I just didn't have the tools to do that, and. Right. Uh, and even though, you know, you would think from the outside, you know, I've got the company card. I can, you know, take my clients out to dinner. I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, working with clients who are all over the world. And, you know, what a great and fantastic job for a girl in her 20s to have. Right. In New uh, York City, it should be so exciting. Yeah. And, and you know, there was a time when it was. There was a time when it was like, you know, look at me walking around with all of these capabilities and and I'm really like living the dream right now mm-hmm. um and I could make this a life for myself and right. and then Except you know, your body won't let you your body won't let you and I never believed that until I actually went through it so when pe- when people say you know your body's going to tell you you know when you need a break or your body will always do it for you if you're not going to listen to it it's true it's true and I just remember sitting in my office one day and gosh, I haven't even thought about this story in so long, but I had all this paperwork that I had to move and I took like a a folder and this little piece of paper fell out of the folder and it was a note from my grandmother who had passed years before, but all the notes said, and I don't ever remember her giving me this note was dear Jessica, I wish you a lot of luck. And, um, and I'm a big believer in in signs, and mm-hmm. I've always been a big believer in signs. Um, but that got me, and I was like, okay, time for me to make a change. I've got I've got to do this because something's not right. Something's not working. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And yes, I have my own office. I, I'm, I can delegate to other employees. This is everything that I had wanted on whatever journey of corporate life I could have had, yet I'm dying inside. And that was when I decided to leave. L- life made it a little easier for me because it was sort of in the midst of a market crash um, uh, in like 08. And I called my parents and I said, I'm, I'm, my plan is to leave this job. And they were not into it. <laughs> they were not into it. Uh-huh. Um, they were You're like, very... but grandma's note just fell out of a folder. They're like, uh-huh. Right. They're like, sit, put it she in a frame. Exactly. She didn't say good luck in showbiz. Exactly. Exactly. And, the, you know, to their, credit, you know, any parent I'm sure would be like, oh, um, you know, honey, uh, you have a 401k and you have health insurance through this company. Why are you going to leave? And then all of a sudden just decide that you're going to like sing on a street corner. So, but did you make that connection immediately? Did, so did you know, I can't do this and I have to do that in that moment? Was that the kind of crystallization of the realization? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I knew, I think I had known for maybe a couple of months and I wasn't willing to say it out loud. I want to, I want to pursue Broadway. I want to be, I know I have the talent to do it. I know I can do it. That's the thing. I, I, I just knew if I had, if I put 100% of myself into it and God, I didn't even know at the time, just the true real deal difficult world. Yeah. Auditioning was open calls were trying to get an agent. What, you know, I, I didn't, of course I didn't know any of that. I'd never done it. So I was kind of like a guinea pig for my own 
life and saying, I need to leave and do this. It was so, it was so incredibly difficult. I wound up because of the market, my company had to make a couple of layoffs. So I skillfully got mm-hmm. myself laid off so I can collect unemployment. And right. Smart. Um, but like subsequently, I just, I knew that I had to audition. I knew that I had to go to open mic nights. I knew that I had to, you know, do all of those things. So I would, before I got, before I got um, laid off, like the, for the six months prior to me, you know, I knew I wanted to leave. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of would work during the day at the corporate job and then I would go scout open mic nights at night. And so where are you going to do that at the time? Birdland, baby. Mm-hmm. I, um, Which I, is now, by the way, you know, one of your many artistic homes, right? Like it's just such an incredible it is. Journey. It is. Wow. It's, it's wild because, you know, back in back then I was so nervous. So I would go on Monday nights to Birdland and kind of cross my fingers because Jim Crusoe didn't know who I was at the time. And anybody could show up and do open mic night and you put your name on a little piece of paper and you just stand there and you're like, you know, they're Jesus, call my name. And, and you know, he, he one night he did. And and do you remember what me. you sang? Do you remember the first my funny time? Valentine? <gasps> I sang my funny Valentine. Oh, wow! And I was so nervous. Oh my god, I was so nervous. Um, of course, of uh, course. But you did it. I did it. I of course I did it. You know, I'm sure that like I was shaking. Um, you know, but that that kind of got the ball rolling, and I I was I was there at a time where I met. A couple of other people who were in the business, and like you know, who? who? One are those of those early friends. The early friends who are who are still friends to this day um, are Alex Gemignani. Uh huh. That's a good friend. That's a great. That's you know, a talented person. You know, he was doing Les Mis at the time, and you know, as fate would have it, we met, and I met him, and I was at, and we, and it was at Birdland, and Alex. Uh, was dating his wife now, Erin Ortman, who's a fantastic director. And he was like, you know, she's starting to direct. I know that you're um, kind of getting your feet wet in this world. Would you be into um, doing like a little cabaret show with her for yourself, like to get yourself back on your feet? And so subsequently she and I worked together um, and it was, this was still at the time when I was, before I had left my finance job, and I planned a show at the Lori Beachman with her down in the in the basement area this where we've all been. This is incredible, though. Yeah, it's wild, because my bosses came. My bosses, Gosh. who, like, knew that I was going to be, they were probably like, this chick seems to be on a different path. Yeah. Um, but they all came, everybody came to support me. It was sort of like, it was the night in my life that I put together a show for the first time uh, as a person who was still in the corporate world um, to see if I could do it. Um, And I could, I could do it. And, um, and that, that was a huge moment for me. And I think looking back, I credit Alex for so many things. Alex was such a champion of mine um, kind of blindly at first. He, he, Mm -hmm. but he knew that, that there was something there and, and he kind of took me under his wing as a as a friend and a little bit of a mentor. I mean, it was we were both finding our way. Alex, you know, is now does does so many different things, wears so many different hats. But at the time, you know, he took a chance on me as a friend, and then subsequently, um, he put a word in for me with his dad, Paul Gemignani, and Paul just offered me a job which was which was christina at carnegie hall um which was written by abba and uh oh my god and i will i know so it's, cool. it's kind of, you it's cannot write this story. bit i know, I know. but i am i'm writing it all down because we're going to make the movie so you can write it and you're going to be in it but keep going i, I mean t- truly it's yeah one of those things where you're like i'm sorry what so 
I, I was babysitting naturally like you do when you're, mm-hmm. when you're figuring out what to do with your life and you know, why not take care of other people's children? And I was doing that and I got an email from him and, you know, in true, now that I know him so well, Gemignani fashion, old school, um, musical director, you know, Hey kid, oh, my, I I, I've been told that you have a, you know, stellar voice, couple questions. Are you a soprano? Can you read music? Are you classically trained? I'm doing a show. I don't know if you know the guys from ABBA. And I was like, do I know the guys from ABBA? Um, (laughs) Hello. Um, I'm a Jersey girl who my parents have parties all the time. And so I was like, this is kind this is amazing. And my heart just like was racing for all the right reasons this time. And, uh, and he said, if you get back to this email, let me know all the questions and you'll get a call from the casting office. And I wrote him back and I was like, you know, um, yes, my I'm a soprano and I do know how to read music and I was classically trained. And, um, you know, thank you so much. And I, I can't wait to hear from them. And so I got the phone call from the office and I'm writing all of it down feverishly on like the back of an envelope <clears throat> of when it is, you know, how long it is, what's the rehearsal process, uh, um, you know, when do I need to be available to start? And and I was like, okay, well, when is the audition? They said, no, this is an offer. And and I I I, I was like, I'm right now. I I didn't know what to say. An offer. Right. Um. That, like, from Paul Gimignani, like, um, I will never, I probably will never be able to repay him for giving me that opportunity mm-hmm. as my, as one of my first forays when I sort of looked up to the universe and I was like, can you give me a sign if mm-hmm. I should be doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I'll ever be, and you know, we, we are always still in touch to this day, but back then he was the one who sort of just pushed me into the deep end, which is the way I like to roll. Um, he Did you say Carnegie Hall? I sure did. So can I sure did. Um, I mean, okay. I know. I know. There, it, right? There you are. Uh, I was there and it was unbelievable and i will never forget that moment and my parents were like oh so this is where you're starting interesting yeah. um and i you know but that is interesting right because it doesn't always you know go in in steps up and up and up there's all of these peaks and valleys right absolutely absolutely and and you know to to know that i was able <clears throat> you know at the time to walk into a room and you know paul and i had never met in person when I started the gig, I walked into this room of, of, you know, a chorus of people who are Broadway vets who are like mm-hmm. truly the people who hop from show to show to show and, you know, are always with a job and they are just on top of their game. And I was so scared. And I remember Paul walking up to me with his notorious big sunglasses on and coming over and saying like, hey, kid. I'm giving you this role to sing. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm in the chorus. I'm no, no, no. I'm good. Thank you so much. And he's like, no, um, this is the role that I want you to sing. And at the time I know it was probably a test of like, can this chick hold her own? Um, and, and I did, and I'll never forget getting to sing in front of Benny and Bjorn and, this was a show that nobody had done before in the United States. And we, put this thing on at Carnegie Hall and then the next year they took us to London and we did it at Royal Albert Hall and it was wow just, I know you wow. it's, it's like one of those things where you just can't fathom uh that happening in such a way where and then they made a recording of it of our time at Carnegie Hall and um and then Paul Paul just would give me little he would throw me bones here and there like you know to do company I did the New York Philharmonic company with with Neil Patrick Harris and Patty Lapone and um and then I did She Loves Me uh the one night only concert I think it was at the Sondheim Theater and this was just all Paul Gemignani saying like you know you can do this 
Wow. And, and he believed in you and he loved your voice. He did. And, but he, you know, it was, it was, it was tough love sometimes because he, at the same time, he gave me so many, um, he opened so many doors for me and I, I had not gone to theater school. I had not had acting class. I had not, you know, done scene study. I had not done anything like that. Um, And I'll never forget, you know, one day I went into a Broadway audition and I had made it all the way to the end and I got an email from him and he, you know, he said, you get yourself into an acting class. Like you out, you Mm. out sang everybody in the room. You did, you know, and I would do all the demos for him, all the Broadway demos for him, you know, when, when they send them for people to learn. And, um, and he was like, but get yourself into an, an, into an acting class. That's what you need. And I was so destroyed. I was so destroyed. I was like, this is it for me. I'm never doing this. I'm over this business. And I took a couple of days to just feel sorry for myself. And then I got myself into an acting class and and he was right. You know, it's, it's the fear of the things that we don't, that we don't know yet that we are, that we will always stay away from because we're too scared to, to take the leap or the chance until you finally do. And you realize it's not so scary. Um, and I think that was a series, that's my series of, of events that have gotten me to maybe where I am right now is just allowing myself to, to take a leap and, and be okay with the fact that I might fail for a minute or I might suck at it for a second. Um, but the point is to get better. The point is to keep growing. The point is to to do yourself a favor and see what happens instead of just being too scared to try. Yeah. Um, and and I owe a lot to him. And I, I really do. Every Broadway show that I've done, I've always kept in touch with him and uh, – you know, he's one of the first people I talked to when I booked Wicked and he, he has been a huge mentor for me in my mm-hmm. life, um, of, of someone who I will always utterly respect f- for even allowing me in the room and, and watching how the work is done in such a way, like it, in a wildly professional and also like, don't screw this up kind of way. Um, and that, that like that old school stuff, that like old school company Sondheim world, we don't see much of anymore. Um, mm-hmm. but at the time it really kicked my ass into shape and, uh, you know, and, and, and for me, I think my Broadway career happened pretty fast Yeah, once, once the door got opened and, uh, I'm very thankful for that. I really am. Well, you, you know, you have been a part of so many incredible productions um, th- that both both that live in people's minds and that live because of the cast recording. So even if someone didn't get to see it, they get to hear it. But I would say it, it seems fair to say that Wicked is the thing that sort of put you into this kind of uh, celebrity do you do you feel that that's true or or was that happening already? No, you know what you're right. It, you're it, it it was the I think I had laid this groundwork in the world of like when social media was starting and when it was beginning. I I probably had just 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 on the bridges of Madison County mm-hmm. and had just been cast in Finding Neverland and I was sort of finding these ways to like connect with with Broadway fans in the ether. And, um, and then by the time I got to Fiddler on the roof and was playing for Macera, it was like the boom of like Instagram and and social media was really happening. Right. Um, and you know, and playing in that time playing for Macera and then subsequently getting to cover Jessica Hecht as Golda for a while, um, was huge for me. That was also like another, you know, uh, chance, you know, Bart Shear took on me, gave, gave me to sort of do this show and make it my own. And, Did you um, know that was going to happen when you took on the role that that you might be able to not just cover but but go on in the role? For I had no period? idea. I had no idea. <sighs> and to be honest with you, uh, when we were doing 
the show one day. It was a Saturday, so it was a two-show day. And at the matinee, we were, you know, in the middle of the pogrom during Fiddler, right after the wedding. And Jessica Hecht, she got hit. We had a fight, you know, call every day. But this was a big fight that happened, and she just took a hit. Mm. And at intermission, (laughs) and she had not – nobody had – been out yet it was pretty early on in the show and okay in the run and and stage management came up to my dressing room and they said well Jess Jess is going to be out for the second act and you're on and I was like get out ha 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 you guys are so funny (laughs) ttyl see you at the end of the show and they were like no (laughs) you're really on and I was like are you effing kidding me um I have my Firmicera makeup on. What are you saying? Exactly. I was like, I just did my star turn. <laughs> um, By the way, and- yes, you did. You oh, no. Unbelievable. But yes, was, go on. It was so fun. I mean, but 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 honestly, there's truly nothing more amazing than having to go on uh, act two for Golda in Fiddler and sing do you love me? And I'm a different person than, than with Danny Burstein with Danny Burstein. But, but you're seeing literally a different woman than you saw in act one. I'm like, do you love me? I'm, hey, I'm your new wife. Let's, did they make an announcement talk. during intermission that the role they of sure Golda? They sure did. And, and the audience clapped when I came on because they were like, Oh no, this poor girl. This poor... <laughs> they were all your parents. They, they all were, they felt like, like oh, you're loving. Here she goes. Let's hope she remembers. I mean, and, did Danny and- come to your dressing room during intermission and just go, "We got this," or does he not even know? Do oh, you he even did. remember? He did because he's he so was, menchy. He is just. I mean, you, you know, to this day, he remains one of my close friends, and and has oh, and kind of been a a leader in helping me when I had to lead a show myself in how mm-hmm. to do it. And mm-hmm. there is. There is truly no one better than than him. Working with Danny Burstein taught me so much about what acting is and how simple it can be. And playing opposite him in that role because, uh, you know, that evening she was out. And I think she was out for a couple of days and the producers sent me beautiful flowers and it was a lovely gesture on their part. And mm-hmm. I got to really learn the ropes from him. And it was, you know, the... That iteration of Fiddler on the Roof was a very different one, and and Bart is known for doing things like that. And the the real deal, raw truth of the story is can be devastating. And that was yeah. again another reason why I loved Jessica Hecht so much because she just is one of the most simplistic actors who is brilliant at what she does, and to have the chance to be able to do that with Danny. Um, it was, it was a treasure. I think it was, it probably goes down as one of the most unexpected things that I've ever gotten to do in, in knowing that I had joined that show in what I call, you know, from a Sarah scary ghost drag queen Mm -hmm. and then got to play Golda a handful of times. Um, Mm -hmm. it was spectacular. It was spectacular. And it, it made me a better actor, um, tenfold, Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, was the it best hard part. to go back to Firmicera after having that, or was it a relief, or it was just such a different? That's such an amazing question, and it was hard to go back to it because then I knew what it felt like <laughs> to mm-hmm. to sort of buoy a show, um, and and play such a meaty mm-hmm. role, um, you know, and I With give all it- the late. With just all the layers of humanity and complexity, oh, and, and you know, it's it's like uh, you don't you, a woman who who's so strong and she really is the leader of her household, but also, um, she she's got a very very soft side underneath the a coat of armor that she had to wear anyway. It was a very um it was an incredible feeling to be able to do that. And while I loved, you know, getting to go back and, and have that Fruma time, it did remind me of how much I wanted to lead a show someday. Um, and don't you think it was in some ways doing both those parts, just in looking at the sort of trajectory of, of the, the roles that you did, 
Elphaba is such a combination of sort of the power of Firmicera, right? Sort of the, what's expected of you vocally and yes. the range and and the costume and face paint and all of that, you know, hiding behind all of that. And then this like incredible acting, right? I mean, yes. she's like Golda and Firmicera put together and, you know, in Oz, it's incredible. Like it all is. the preparation you had for that. It is. And thank goodness that I had, you know, I, I, I will never forget it too, because I had auditioned. Um, I, again, going back to like, oh, the Instagram world, I had mm-hmm. made this hashtag because of the way that I had done for Masera and I was on this 15 foot platform and I had these long fingers and it was this huge thing. I just called her dead alphaba. And that was what took off, you know, in the smallest of ways, right. In the Instagram world, it was like, People Dead loved Elfaba. that. They it was loved a huge, it. Huge yeah. hashtag moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then casting uh, saw it and they had me come in um, to replace on, on the tour of Wicked. And I, I will never forget, I had jumped through the hoops. I had done all the things. Can you talk about that? I don't know that people understand. We all understand the joy that that show has given us and your songs in particular for almost 20 years now. Yeah. But what is it? And so I obviously you must have had a relationship to the show. Like it's impossible to not if you're living on the planet right now. Um, what was your relationship to the show and what was it like auditioning for that show? I mean, here's what's wild. I had only seen the show in previews. Okay. I had never, you know, and I think maybe that was a blessing for me is that I had never gone, you know, of course we all had the cast album. Of course, like, did I sing for good with all of my best friends driving in the back roads of Jersey? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it, you know, these are the songs that I had in my canon growing up. And um, so I saw it, you know, in the very, very beginning with, uh, with Casey and Adina and, um, you know, two powerhouse women um, who had, you know, this was a big moment for the both of them that kickstarted right. so many huge things for them. And, yep. um, you know, and we all know that as, as the theater girls, we like, that's what a, what a crazy career to have and to have that be your um, vehicle. And yep. so that was sort of my knowledge of the show itself. Um, if you had said to me, like, Jessica, what was your dream role always? I'd be like, um, funny girl. And, and right. you know, Alphaba, I loved, I always loved to sing Defying Gravity. I always loved, you know, I even loved to sing Popular. I just loved the entire um, show. Mm-hmm. When I went in for the audition, it was, of course, all the material from Wicked. It was a couple of scenes from the show. And, you know, you go in for the assistant director and you're put on camera because, again, the show has been open for 100 years and you're, um, you know, you're kind of there to fill a role that has been done so many times before, but you have to be able to make it your own. So it's this kind of weird gray space. Um, And it was hard. It was really hard. I didn't think that I would be good at it. And... I went in maybe two or three times um, and it was, I was like, Are you yeah. saying like in callback way or or just two or three times completely unrelated? Oh no, in to, callback way. Right, in so you went way. in and, get, and kept getting called back. I did, I did. Okay. I got called back a couple of times like for work sessions, which is what we call it in our, in our world is like you go in and then if they like you after that first go round, you'll have a work session with the associate director who then gets into the nitty gritty of what it really takes to do the show. And, you know, at the time there's sort of nothing better than being in a show on Broadway currently. And, uh, and then, you know, going to your show that night and getting to forget about the audition that day. Mm -hmm. And that's a blessing. And then um, I got a phone call from, or I got a text message from, um, somebody at, at Telsey's office, Bernie Telsey's office, who's the one who cast the show. And they said, I'm, t- I'm taking a walk past your theater. Um, pop down. I like, I have my puppy pop down. I want to say hello. 
And as I popped down, he was like, by the way, you booked it. What? <laughs> and again, in in true and Bosque fashion. Yeah. In true Bosque fashion, I was like, screw you. Get out. I mean, I had my like wig cap on, pin curls in. Um, <laughs> the the tale is old as time. He's like, I wanted to be the first one to tell you. Um, and even before my manager called and was like, you booked it. So I had to act surprised, which uh -huh. was like, I'm an actor. I was like, what? Thank God um, you took those classes. I sure did. I was like, scene study, let's do it. Um, and it was it was wild because I I finished Fiddler. My last show on Fiddler was a Sunday matinee. Mm -hmm. And then I flew out to the tour that Monday. Um, and I, with, you know, no time to waste. And, uh, and, I, and I just, I did it. And I started rehearsals right away. And you really. How long did you have before you were performing? Probably six weeks of rehearsal, um, which is necessary it's if you've never done it before. The, it's the story such a big show. It's such a it's a huge show, and usually what happens is they promote from within. I mean, you'll see a lot of people who have been with Wicked for a long time and who have been in the ensemble, and then they cover Alphaba, and then they're made, you know, they're promoted to Alphaba on the road, and that's how it kind of goes. And they they understand the culture of the show and how it works. But I had come in fresh as a daisy. Um, I had never been in any, uh, you know, iteration of the show in any capacity before. So I came in, you know, not knowing anything. And uh, I did it on the road for 13 months. And that was, you're, that, you're right. I used that probably as the biggest um, jump off for, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, I guess, being known, uh, in the business. And I, I wanted to make that role my own and I wanted to take on different platforms of that role. When people say, you know, why, why did you do it? Or what did you think of when you were doing it? Um, that's so different, you know, from when it opened in 2003 and, um, and that was really important to me. And I think, uh, subsequently doing it on Broadway for the 15th anniversary and getting to, to kind of like have, um, you know, first of all, a tour to Broadway, it's two different shows. Yes, the story is the same, but but the actual difficulty of the show is because of, you know, a raked stage and you're running around and you have to go downstairs and through the orchestra pit and get on an elevator and do good, no good deed. It's, it is so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and when people truly say it's the hardest thing that they've ever done, it's, that's not a lie. Right. That's a true story. Um, it, it will make you stronger than you ever thought you could be uh, in so many ways. And when you're in a show like that versus Bridges or, or Neverland or, or Fiddler, something that has um, so much history to the production, um, what is, does it still have like, the day-to-day -day intimacy of a company of people working with each other, or does it feel like you're part of a Disney thing or something larger than life in some way? Yeah, that's such a good question. It it does feel a bit corporate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there are people who have who have been with this show for 13 years. I mean, there are people who have who have remained in the ensemble of the show since it opened, which is incredible. But there's also you know. That you have the usual, uh, um, the usual people who are like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, and this person's coming in for my vacation leave. It's sort of, it's sort of in that way. The usual suspects of um, whoever's done the show before, who can they call quickly to come in, mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, so in that way, it's kind of, it is kind of corporate. Um, and you are know, you rehearsing a lot because of that? Even when you're oh, yeah. doing the show, right? So more oh, yeah. exhaustion. Yeah, there the exhaustion. I've never I've never felt tired like I have felt doing any show as I have doing that show. I mean, take tour is is one beast, but then the 15th anniversary was another beast because we were doing so much press. Right. And um you know, and that will you really do have to pace yourself. And in the same regard, you do make um 
a very familial bond with whoever your other witch is. And that's a that's that's where the personal stuff comes in because it's up to the two of you to um to take the show to another level because you do realize why so many people are coming to see it. It's no mistake that a show right. has remained so popular because of its subject matter. And right. um and, and so did you feel that? Did you have that connection? I did. I had wonderful, wonderful partners. Um, Who were the different Glindas? Glindas. Um, so my Glindas. Um, apparently, I only do uh, Wicked with two name witches. So that's that's great. My first was Amanda. The first was Amanda Jane Cooper. Uh, the second was Jenna Claire Mason, and the third was Katie Rose Clark. So, you know, again, you know, I, I only work with witches who have two names. So don't yes. just know, know don't, that. Let don't give me known. a witch with one name. I don't, I don't have that. Yeah. Cannot respond. Um, but well, wait, would uh, you do it again? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think with enough time away. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you really do. The, the show is so special. Mm-hmm. I loved doing the show. I loved singing the songs and I loved performing with the groups of people who I got to perform with. Everyone is, is so talented beyond, beyond belief, beyond what you can think of as far as Broadway is concerned. And for such a difficult show, for a show that has been running for so long, which you don't see very often, to keep it um, timely and fresh. That's that's our job, and I take I've always taken that very seriously. I don't want anything to become stale. I'm the person on stage who's the like class clown troublemaker. We all know this about me. Um, I'm I have to keep something you know funny and fresh, and you know with a lot of heart in order for me to feel um, like I'm making a difference. And mm-hmm. and for that reason, I've always wanted to go to the West End and do it. I've always wanted the chance to to be able to, you know, take it on again after some time away. And so who knows? Um yeah. it's you know, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And does Joe watch- Mantello come at you know from time to time? Did he ever come while you were doing it? Um, I think I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> I wish he I wish that we were able to spend more time with him. I would say yeah. maybe him for an act act one or maybe for the 15th anniversary. Um, right. Right. But I didn't, I, I, it was one of those things, you know, the show obviously had been open for so many years. He's not the one you audition for. Right. <clears throat> um, you know, it's very different than a, than a, a, a Broadway show that's debuting for the first time or a new mm-hmm. show or, um, you know, the, the sort of creatives because it's been open for so many years, everybody's doing different things now. Right. And, right. So does um, the stage manager put you into the show? They do. They do. The stage manager has the, between the stage manager and assistant director, they are the ones who, you know, are who get giving you, ready. you, you know, exactly where you need to be. Um, you know, um, we use numbers. It was a, it's a numbers game and, and be, it's very, very meticulously choreographed and, mm-hmm. um, which is also a lot. Um, yeah. Did you grow up dancing as much as you were singing? I was a bunhead as a kid. I was such a little dancer baby. Um, so, you know, while I like to say I'm a dancer first, I'm definitely not. Um, I am a singer who moves. Uh, I understand how to, you know, uh, fake it till I make it. But you'll never see me whipping out a pirouette. Right. But you can um, do it. You can without do death. it. Yes. You can do it and, 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 and act it. You can act it. You know, one of the things that I will say that it's like a little, you know, sneaky surprise is that it is, the show reads as a play. Yes. And you don't, if you take the music out and you were reading the scene, they're really beautifully written scenes and it's gorgeous scene work and Alphaba, yes, you can take her and make her just a belty character and she can be a yeller, but she's so compassionate. And mm-hmm. so empathetic and has so much heart. And the amount of sort of um, 
on your feet class that you have while you're doing that show as far like acting class I mean from scene to scene because people are coming in and out of the show all the time and you're learning how to act with different people all, all the time so your skill yeah. set is, yeah. is being tested all the time um the acting of that show was as important if not more so than the singing of the show you know, when we talk about, would you do Wicked again? There's just this yearning to know, when would that even be possible? What does oh, that no. look like? How does that happen? And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's just so incredible how much work people are making at home and via Zoom and how much entertainment there still is from our community is just s- astonishing and so beautiful to me. But doing it... Um, in isolation is really hard. It's wildly hard. Yeah. And, you know, and I always think to myself all the time how how we are the best adapters. Mm-hmm. You know, we human beings in general, but once once you sort of dive into our business and you watch what everybody's been doing to um to create right now is yeah. it's a really incredible thing and we're yeah. and we make it work because we really have to, we, we yes. have to, this is yeah. a thing, you know, if, when people talk about media in general or the arts in general, and, you know, that's why it was such a huge thing for me to, um, to, uh, to be able to, to continue to be creative because we are essential. And when people say that the arts don't matter, I'm like, well, then you can't, you can't watch Netflix. You're no longer allowed. Yep. yep. We've um, just taken because- your subscription away. Yeah. And we're, we're making, um, you know, it's, it is our job to, I always say to people that when they say, what, why did you get into this business in the first place? And I said, the glitz and the glam is great. The, the mm-hmm. fact that to, I get to record, you know, t- you know, things for TV and, and for film and document, all this kind of stuff is so fun. But at the end of the day, the, the thing for me is having somebody come to a show that I'm in and, it could be the worst day of their life, but for that two hours and 30 minutes, I have taken them out of that. Yeah. And that's it for me. Yeah. And that, that is what translates now when we're sitting at home and we have to figure out new ways to deal with the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is unprecedented for all of us. Yep. And we, we have to make it work and, and look at us making it work. Yeah. Um, I know. I feel so proud. I feel so proud of this yeah, and community. We, you know, this is what this is why you're so amazing at what you do, and, um, you know, and you continue to have these conversations with people through all of this. And thank goodness that you have your podcast because we, we myself and the rest of your listeners, it's like, what a blessing that we get this right now, um, mm. and that you found a way to make it work. Well, I feel really lucky to remain connected to people that inspire me so much. Um, I want to ask you, so I went on Twitter where you have, I think you have one gazillion people who love you. It's one, I think you're up to one gazillion for sure. I'm going to take it. I'll take it. And so um, at Allie Hill would like to know, her the little known fact that she would like you to share, or maybe this is big, is do you have... Um, an audition story that comes to mind that is hilarious now. <laughs> Perhaps not so much at the time or, or something around auditioning that comes to mind when you hear that question. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, when I had gone in for this concert version of West Side Story with the San mm-hmm. Francisco Symphony. I had no idea. It was really like early on in my um, auditioning life and in the world of me getting into theater. Um, it was before I had even booked a Broadway show. So I was up against Titans and the, sh- the audition was at Juilliard. And I walked in and I didn't know who Michael Tilson Thomas was. And for anybody who doesn't know, he's Leonard Bernstein's protege. Um, and the artistic director and conductor of the San Francisco Symphony. And he was holding the auditions. Again, I had no idea who he was. And so (laughs) I walked in. 
in typical Vosk fashion. And I was like, hey, everybody, what's up? Let's do this shit. Um, and still no idea who this man was. He's standing behind the table. I like went up to the table, shook his hand, shook everybody's hand, went over to the piano and I had to do material from the show. And I will never forget. Um, I like in the middle of one of the songs, I was like, oh, I can't possibly do this with my heels on. And I like kicked my heels off and it hit the ceiling and fell on the floor and like almost broke the mirror and Juilliard. And <laughs> you I broke think Juilliard. Like I hurt Juilliard personally. <laughs> and I think that's how I booked the job. I'm not even kidding you to this you day. Were he, Anita. Always, he always tells the story about how I did that. And huh. he's like, and that, in that moment, I thought to myself, she's, she can't be anybody else than who she is. Right. And, and that's the fire that I wanted for this role. And I just remember being like, that was what, you know, I, I so whenever anybody asks about auditions, I always say, you know, auditioning is a job. It's an art form in itself. And, and we have to get better at it as we go. But the one thing that should never change is just remaining who you are through it all. And, and really you might not be the person who's going to book it after more often than not, you probably aren't going to book it. And I say that from experience from hearing no more than I hear. Yes. And, uh, but the, the one thing you can control is being who you are. I just think you are the most glorious, extraordinary human. And I just cannot believe how much time I got with you today. And I just really, really hope that I can get you to come on again because I cannot take up any more of your time this Thursday, but there's yeah. got to be another Thursday. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I think the world of you and oh, thank you. I'm such a fan of yours as well. And I would, it would be an honor. Jessica Vosk, thank you for coming on the podcast, sweet friend. Until next time. Thank you. Hey, okay. Hey, before I sign off, I just want to tell you guys one more thing. I have a new podcast out. It's called And the Award Goes To, and you can find it on the Broadway Podcast Network or really anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is an incredible journey that I take with 10 Tony winners where together we listen to their speech that they made the night they won, and then they just take me through their entire Tony experience, how the role came into their lives, what the role meant to them, what the challenges were, how it felt to be nominated and more unbelievable, how it felt to win, and then what it is to wake up the next day after your lifelong dream has happened. Then what do you do? This 10-part limited series is something that started as a love letter to the Tonys when they were canceled this year and just turned into this whole other adventure. I'm so grateful to my guests, all of whom you love as much as I do. So check out And the Award Goes To. You're really going to enjoy it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.